Welcome to the Lowenstein Sandler podcast series. I'm Kevin Iredell, Chief Marketing Officer at Lowenstein Sandler. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast series at lowenstein.com slash podcast, or find us on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Now let's take a listen. Welcome to Don't Take No for an Answer. I'm your host, Linda Bennett, Chair of the Insurance Recovery Practice here at Lowenstein Sandler. And today I'm very pleased to welcome two guests to the show. Yelena Donovesky, a Vice President of Transactional Insurance at Woodruff Sawyer, and Jarrett Kelly, who is a partner in our Capital Markets and Securities Group. So Yelena and Jared, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Linda. Great to be here. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. Of course, happy to have you. So really pleased to have you both here uh, today to talk about SPAC mania, uh, which took hold of public markets back in 2020 and into the first half of 2021. As we all know, the SPACs raised a staggering 80 plus billion dollars in IPOs in 2020. And if that wasn't incredible enough, another 160 billion in IPOs in the first half of 2021 came along. We also started to see in 2021 more than 250 DSPAC transactions, but things seem to have slowed down. So I'm fortunate to have two experts who are knee deep in these types of cases. So Jared, let me start out by asking you, what's behind the cooling off that's associated with SPACs and DSPACs right now? Just oversupply, I think. That's all it has to do with it. A lot of sponsors came out during that 2021 period and were able to raise money uh, very quickly. And all the investors in the back half of 2021 started putting their money in other places. And I think real quickly, the second part is yields are going to go up. So people are placing their money in different, different investments. That's great. Have there been particular industry sectors that have been hit hard? I would say not more, none more than any others, but for a while it was fintech and, and healthcare tech or biotech that were, you know, they were 75% of the SPAC market. And now that the SPAC market's cooled so much, there's just less MA activity and, and uh, sponsors coming out looking for those targets. So if anyone was hit hard, it was the industry that benefited from it the most anyway. Elena, what are you seeing in your neck of the woods? Are there particular industries that uh, are hotter or colder right now? Yeah, I would say that uh, electric vehicles came out pretty hot at the beginning and everyone was uh, piling into those. But then we started seeing a lot of uh, litigation around that area and some uh, projections that perhaps were a little bit more optimistic than they should have been. And so uh, when you approach an insurer and tell them that there's an electric vehicle target that's on the table, they usually back away slowly. All right. Well, as we know, a DSPAC transaction has to be completed within a designated time frame, usually 18 to 24 months from the IPL. What's going to become of all of this capital that's been raised that seems to be coming stale and for which the right M&A targets uh, seem to be elusive. Jared, why don't you give us your insights on that? Well, there's a big maturity wall coming at the end of this year because of, like you mentioned, all those IPOs that went public in 2021. Most SPACs got a two-year window. Now it's much less. Now it's even, uh, one year to 18 months, but most of them out there are dealing with the two-year window. And, and then the ones that came out in the market this year had a one-year window. So they're all sort of maturing at the same time. Uh, they all will not find targets. 
And so some percentage of that money right now, some bankers are telling me maybe a third of it is going to be just redeemed back to the, the public shareholders and sponsors are going to be out a lot of money from, for their at-risk capital. Is there going to be a liquidation path for any of these SPACs to follow if they don't? Yeah, well, there's a mechanism. Yeah, sure. There's a mechanism that um, if you don't do a deal by X date, you just, the money goes back to the public shareholders plus interest. The interest is usually just treasury yields. And so it's a sort of easy liquidation. The other liquidation question that's probably going to be um, interesting is what happens to all the companies that went public through a DSPAC and are not meeting their their target projections, as Yelena mentioned, and what happens to them if they are liquidated in the future when if they've taken on too much debt or, or just uh, lose public interest. Yelena, are you seeing barriers on new SPAC transactions? Are you seeing insurers taking a different approach? Are there some lessons learned that have developed over the last you know, two years when the mania first started to this cooling off period? How are insurers approaching these risks differently, if at all? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think all of us have been learning sort of as we go, including the insurers on how to approach and figure out what kind of risks they're getting themselves into. And having seen the activity over the last few months and also seeing the redemptions that are in the market, they're still think holding at 80, 90%, uh, which is unfortunate. They are more hesitant to write those policies. They're definitely more hesitant to write policies for a new IPO, new SPACs coming to the market seeking to IPO, but also hesitant in writing policies for those go-forward post-merger companies. They're asking a lot more questions than they used to around conflicts of interest, around disclosure, around uh, compensation, making sure that the parties that are involved, their affiliate transactions or anything related to that. So they're definitely digging deeper and being a lot more picky on the companies that they choose to to underwrite. Has the capacity issue been dealt with? You know, just about uh, a year ago in April 2021, one of the hardest things was finding a carrier who could do the deal, right? Um, Have we seen a change in market conditions there where there's more capacity available if you are able to faithfully and fully answer those questions you just mentioned? So I think it changed in the sense that I wouldn't say there's more capacity available, but there's more capacity available for certain kinds of teams and certain kinds of deals. So the teams that have done multiple deals in the past and and have shown sort of their track record and have proven themselves in a way, the underwriters are more willing to write those policies and to speak to those teams. Newer teams get backlogged. But at the same time, I'm not seeing an increase in capacity that's available. And I think the reason for that right now is that it's the same group of underwriters that are underwriting these back IPOs and the go-forward policies. We've seen a huge decrease in the number of SPAC IPOs that are coming into the market. We're seeing maybe one or two or three a week right now versus, you know, tens or, you know, dozens a week uh, this time last year. But on the flip side, we're seeing a lot more deals uh, happening, DSPACs happening. On the DSPAC side, the policy that's written is much larger 
tower of a policy. So 20, 30, 40 million versus on the IPO side, which is maybe 5 million. So the underwriters are kind of trying to allocate that capacity, but they're not willing to put in too much uh, of a capacity on any one deal. So we're still in a situation where fewer deals are happening, but the capacity hasn't improved and it's still a difficult time in the market. Got it. So Jared, how are pipe investors impacting the DSPAC market that Yelena was just talking about and target prices in particular? Yeah. So pipe investors come in to basically act as a backstop to redemptions on the SPAC trust account. That's that's been their historical role. There was a period of nine months or so late 2020, early 2021, where 90% of the SPAC trust account um, investors were staying in the deals, approving them and keeping their funds instead of redeeming. But now that's trickled back off to historical levels where two thirds to 75% of the SPAC trust account redeems their funds. And so the SPAC trust accounts left with very little. And so now the pipe investors have, um, you know, they can throw their weight around a bit more because their money is more important. But they're playing a huge role right now because a lot of them are backing out. Um, there were huge pipes done in connection with very large deals, DSPAC deals in, in the late 2020, early 2020, well, actually all of 2020 and, and the first half of 2021, where institutional pipe investors put up uh, large sums of money. And one thing they're finding out is that they didn't get as liquid a security as they thought they were getting. And so they're pulling back. And uh, that means less less financing for DSPAC transactions, and which really pushes the SPAC vehicle into sort of just a reverse merger shell vehicle where there's not that much cash for businesses on a go-forward basis. So other than the pipe investors, are there any other factors driving the competitive market conditions that we're seeing uh, right now in terms of finding an acquisition target? Yeah, I think, you know, there's too much supply, right? There's hundreds of these vehicles out there looking for targets. There's not enough target companies that are public company ready. A lot of times you're trying to fit a square peg in a round hole with these companies, the targets that are, you know, some of them don't have CFOs, some of them don't have the accounting staff, some of them don't have legal, et cetera. And and becoming a public company is a, a giant exercise. It costs a lot of money to remain a public company. So that's it's just a supply and demand issue as simple as that there's too many specs out there looking and not enough public company target ready companies yeah yeah ahead. i'll jump in there quickly um what i'm seeing is that it's true public company readiness is one of the bigger issues in the market right now the spac teams that are uh, we're working with they're looking everywhere they're not limited to the us at this point many are looking elsewhere for companies that haven't been tapped yet perhaps in Europe or other regions, that becomes problematic if you go to regions that are not sort of in the safe zone for the insurers. So uh, while that's a possibility and it's a different market and a new deal uh, capacity, if you will, that is something that I would caution SPAC teams to think carefully about uh, because they might run into problems getting coverage. So that's a great point. Um, And I'm going to save for next time because Yelena and Jared have been kind enough to come on back for another episode. As if these market conditions weren't challenging enough, 
Uh, when we pick up next time, we're going to talk about the game changer of the SEC rearing its ugly head um, into this very volatile market. So thank you, Yelena and Jared, very much for joining us today. And uh, so pleased to have you come on back next time. Absolutely. Thank you, Linda. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Please subscribe to our podcast series at lowenstein.com slash podcast. Or find us on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Lowenstein Sandler podcast series is presented by Lowenstein Sandler and cannot be copied or rebroadcast without consent. The information provided is intended for a general audience and is not legal advice or a substitute for the advice of counsel. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. The content reflects the personal views and opinions of the participants. No attorney-client relationship is being created by this podcast and all rights are reserved.